Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. We have an interesting guest with us today. Some of you may have heard of him definitely throughout this election year. He is a professor of history at the American University in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. He's written a book called White Protestant Nation, The Rise of the American Conservative Movement. He was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award in nonfiction. And uh, his name is Alan Lichtman. And you may know him as the prediction professor. He predicted Donald Trump would win. When we bring him on, I'm going to tell him what I said about that. His prediction system, the keys to the White House, correctly predicted the outcomes of every U.S. presidential election since 1984. I was hoping he was going to be wrong this time. He was right again. Professor Alan Lichtman, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. My great pleasure, Leslie. Uh, Professor Lichtman, I am a staunch Hillary-supporting Democrat, but I'm also a Fox News contributor. And I was sitting, getting my hair and makeup done, waiting to go on TV, and I saw you go on and predict that Donald Trump would win, and even prior to that, read about it. And, and Professor Lichtman, I apologize because I didn't do it to your face, but uh, behind your back I was like, this guy's crazy. We're going to get him on after so I can tell him how wrong he is. And boy, was I wrong. Um, so, Professor, let me ask you, with all of the predictors uh, showing out there, the experts, every single poll, all of the analysis, whether it be of the Electoral College and, you know, the vote state by state, I mean, it, it, it was so sure that Hillary Clinton would win that they had me in the seat to go to me once she did on television, and obviously things uh, had changed. Was there ever a time, sir, that you thought, hmm, maybe this time I might be wrong? Hey, you know, when Franklin Roosevelt first delivered his speech on quarantining the dictators back in the late 1930s, he looked back and no one was following him. He said, my God, it's so lonely to be leading a parade and nobody's there. It's kind of the way I felt. <laughs> Not comparing myself to FDR, but it was the same kind of sinking feeling. But, you know, I've got to, I've got to say this, and I've been saying this for decades. This is nothing new. Take everything from the pundits. Take everything from the pollsters. Take everything from the purveyors of conventional wisdom and do to it what the great philosopher David Hume says you should do to works of superstition. Consign them to the flames. They're not worth anything. Polls are not predictors. They are abused and misused as predictors. Polls are snapshots, and those snapshots can change unpredictably at any time in the future certainly at election time. Plus, all of these pollsters had to guess about likely voters. And the problem is that model can change every four years. So that model that worked so well 
in 2012 didn't work at all in 2016. And as far as all these experts like uh, Nate Silver and others, Nate Silver is a clerk. He just compiles polls. And these very precise probabilities they come up with, 75.4%. There are professors at Princeton and the University of Illinois who had a Hillary probability at 99.2%. It's what I call the fallacy of false precision. Those probabilities are as thin as gossamer because they are no more accurate than the underlying polls. And if the polls are off, all the probabilities are off. So my model is based on history. I developed it, believe it or not, with the world's leading authority on earthquake forecast, the ledger Kylos Borak in 1981. And when you think about it, everything we know about elections is taken from geophysics, you know. Uh, political volcanoes, tremors of political change, earthquake elections. And we reconceptualized elections in geophysical terms as stability. The party in the White House keeps the White House upheaval. The party is tossed out. We looked at 120 years of electoral history guided by the thesis that elections have little or nothing to do with campaigns, but are primarily judgments on the strength and performance of the party holding the White House. And we came up with our 13 key indicators, the 13 keys to the White House, designed to expose vulnerabilities or strength of the White House party. And we discovered many vulnerabilities that had nothing to do with the campaign for the Democrats, including a pasting in the midterm elections, the fact that it was an open seat, very tough to win open seat elections, the fact that there was this raucous internal party, fight, a pesky third party, and the keys go term by term. And in the second term, there were no big policy accomplishments for the Barack Obama administration, like the Affordable Care Act, because Republicans blocked everything. And there was no big, splashy foreign policy success like the dispatch of bin Laden. So I was looking at these big picture factors and not trying to assess the day-to-day gyrations of the campaign, which gets you nowhere. Professor Lichtman, if you don't mind me asking, you have accurately predicted, and I've got to give you that, uh, every presidential election since 1984. Uh, and you don't have to say who, but have any of the candidates you predicted would win, are they candidates you didn't want to win personally, not well, as pre- a predictor? Great question. And I always preface my predictions by saying two things. One, they're predictions, not endorsements. And two, the hardest thing in being a forecaster is not knowing history. They've got to know history. It's not knowing numbers. They've got to know numbers. It's putting aside your own personal political preferences. That is really hard to do. And I've so far predicted five Democratic wins and four Republican wins. So by necessity, a good bit of the time I've gone against my own personal preferences. Well, I personally hope you will predict this will be a one-term president, uh, but we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about your predictions. We're going to talk uh, more about your process, why you started this, and another prediction you made that not a lot of people are talking about. We'd love to talk about it here. We'll be back with our guest, Professor Alan Lickman, Professor of History at American University in Washington, D.C. Like I said, he has predicted the outcomes of every U.S. presidential election and accurately since 1984. Pick up the phone and join us, 888-6-Leslie, 543. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. And our guest in this hour, who I'd love for you to call and ask questions of, 888 6 888 653 
888-6-LESLIE. Uh, Alan Lickman is our guest professor of history at the American University in Washington, D.C. He's author of White Protestant Nation, The Rise of the American Conservative Movement, a finalist for the National Book Circle, a Critic Circle Award in nonfiction. He has a prediction system, the keys to the White House, and he has correctly predicted the outcomes of all U.S. presidential elections since 1984. Okay, I said that jokingly, Professor Lichtman, but are you go- uh, do you have any uh, way to predict if somebody's going to be a one- or two-term president? And if so, could you get on that right now, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you really want me to be Nostradamus, don't you? Before I, I get to I that, you, you told me you were a big Hillary Clinton supporter. I have one small ray of sunshine for you. Contrary to what all now just after-the-fact punditry says, and by the way, after-the-fact explanations are worth the five bucks that might you get on the subway and even less than that. This loss was not, I repeat, not Hillary Clinton's fault. She was dealt the losing hand based on the keys from the start. If you want to point a finger at anyone, and I don't recommend it, point it at Bernie Sanders for causing the big rift within the Democratic Party by any standard campaigning measures, Hillary Clinton should have won in the landslide. She beat him in every single debate by near record margins in the first debate. She had a better organization. She had more spending. She had better ads. But that had nothing to do with the outcome. As far as predicting who's going to be a one-term president, it is absolutely possible, but it's a little bit early. That is, sometimes the keys can begin to line up very, very early. For example, I predicted Barack Obama's re-election, saying he wasn't going to be a one-term president, all the way back in 2010, because I could see enough of the keys lining up for him positively. And that was a hard-to-call election. And by the way, this Nate Silver wrote a 15-page paper in 2011 attacking the keys, saying, you can't make a prediction that early. And I, of course, being a professor... I wrote a 15-page response saying, oh, yes, I can. And, of course, I was right. He eventually came around to predicting Obama. I sent him an email saying, let's do a joint article showing how two utterly different methods can reach the same conclusion. In the years since, I've never heard from the guy again. Interesting. So let's talk about first, before how you decide this, what made you start to look at this? What made you start back in 1984 predict who would win. I mean, you yeah, obviously well, I, don't need sure. a job. You're a professor. You're probably tenured. Nope. <laughs> so why did you decide to do this, Professor? It's a great story. I was a visiting distinguished scholar at Caltech in 1980-81. So what do you do when you're a distinguished visiting scholar? First of all, you go on a quiz show. And I went on Tic-Tac-Doe and won $110,000. So I didn't need the money. Number two, you meet other distinguished visiting scholars. And I'd love to tell you it was my brilliant idea to develop the keys to the White House. It wasn't. It was the guy I met at a dinner, Belagia Kailas Borak, the world's leading authority in earthquake prediction. And he said, let's collaborate. And I said, no, we're not. You know, earthquakes are a big deal here in Southern California, in Pasadena. I go back to D.C. Nobody cares about earthquakes. And he said, oh, no, I already solved earthquakes. I want to do something much harder, politics. Get this. He's, he's from the Soviet Union, and in 1963, he was a member of the Soviet scientific delegation that negotiated with the Kennedy administration the treaty that is the reason we're still here on this earth, the nuclear, oceanic, and atmospheric test ban treaty that stopped all these horrific poisons being put into our atmosphere 
and our soil. And he said he fell in love with politics and always wanted to use the mechanisms of earthquake prediction to predict elections. And at this point, I thought, you know, he was KGB back when there was a KGB. <laughs> but, you know, I had nothing to lose. And he said, look, I can't do Soviet elections. It's supreme leader or off with your head. But you know everything about American elections. So we teamed up. We used his methods and my knowledge of politics and came up with the 13 keys studying 1860 to 1980. Remember, this is 1981. Now, if you're an academic, what do you do when you make a big discovery like that? You publish it in a serious academic journal where you expect at least four or five people to actually read it. But six people read our article, and the sixth person was the science reporter for the Associated Press. And I opened the newspaper one day sitting in my office, and the headline reads, Odd Couple Discovers Keys to the White House. But it wasn't Oscar and Felix. It had to be the crazy Russian geophysicist and the crazy U.S. historian. And that started me on the road to being a forecaster. And I wrote my first prediction in April 1982 Washingtonian magazine predicting the re-election of Ronald Reagan in the midst of the worst recession since the Great Depression when everyone was talking about a one-term president. I have to say, I'm going to disclose, I was no big Ronald Reagan supporter, but I got a phone call from a guy who says, Professor Lichtman, this very heavy southern accent, this is Lee Outwater at the Ronald Reagan White House, the political director. We want you to come to the White House. I went to the White House. I spent the entire day with Lee Outwater. At the end of the day, he asked me the question that he really wanted an answer to. What would happen if Ronald Reagan did not run again in 1984? Not being a Reagan fan, I'm thinking of all the damage. No, I'm going to give it to you straight. I've already predicted a Reagan win if he runs again. If he doesn't run again, you lose enough keys. The nomination contest key, for example, uh, the sitting president key, that you go from a sure win to a sure loss. Lee Outwater looks me in the eye and says, thank you so much, Professor Lichtman, and the rest is history. That's how it all got started. Okay. Wow. Um, interesting. And uh, can you talk to us um, about your predictors? I mean, you know, these um, are yours. Uh, maybe you don't want to reveal it entirely, but I have read some of the uh, oh, sure. method to your madness, if you will, so that people understand, because you do things very differently than pollsters do. Oh, there's any polls. The theory behind the keys is that the American people are essentially pragmatic. They're not turned by the twists and events of the campaign. doesn't matter who's up, who's down on a daily basis. The media even, covers even when you see somebody mocking a disabled person, even when you anything, hear grabber in the anything. blank. Okay, so even then you weren't saying, oh, he's done for, because I really thought he was at those times. Everybody did. In fact, I made my first prediction in late September, and my second prediction, I doubled down in a second Washington Post interview in late October after the sex tape came out, after the 12 women accused him of sexual assault, and before the James Comey letter that everybody said was so detrimental to Hillary Clinton. In other words, I doubled down at the worst point in the Trump campaign. And here's how I do it. I look at the big picture. Another great fallacy of conventional polling and punditry is it severs 
politics and governance. You got governance over here, and then politics, which is all about the things you know you, you mentioned: mocking disabled people, winning debates, the Comey letter, the sex tape, all that stuff. I don't look at any of that. I look primarily at governance and the strength of the party in power. So I am looking at the long and short-term economy, third-party movements, midterm elections, scandal, social unrest, policy change. Uh, I'm looking at foreign policy successes and failures, among other things. So I am doing something that nobody else does, putting together governance and politics. And if candidates would take this seriously and listen to this instead of listening to the conventional wisdom, they would campaign totally differently. They'd get rid of the negative ads. They'd get rid of the tricks. They would focus on building a basis for governing. And in that way, they would serve the country better and serve themselves because they got elected and they had a basis for governing. They could govern better and have a better chance at getting reelected. Wow. Let's take some calls. And uh, our guest is Professor Lickman. And as you know, he's predicted this election when everybody, almost everybody else was saying Donald Trump won't win. Let's go to Nick in California, line two, listening on KGOE radio. Nick, good afternoon. Question or comment for the professor? Yeah, I've got a question. I was wondering if uh, he had taken into, you know, I don't quite understand the concept of how he does it, but did he take into... uh, um, the thought that Chris Kobach had the voter cross section, you know, where uh, deal where he he knocked like maybe five million people off the Democratic rolls. Did uh, did you take that into consideration at all in your prediction, Professor? A, I, I don't think it's proven that five million Democratic voters were illegitimately knocked off the rolls. I think some were, but I don't think the number was demonstrated as that high. And the answer is there are all kinds of shenanigans and things that have gone on. I've been doing this, as I said, retrospectively back to 1860, and I do not look at things like that, except once. I did once, and that was uh, in 2000, but I'm not sure we want to. That's another show, Leslie. I am also the one person who knows what really happened in Florida in 2000, because I did the study for the United States Commission on Civil Rights. I see. All right, Nick, I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Ishmael in Virginia, Line 5, listening on tuned, Tune In. Uh, Ishmael, good afternoon. Uh, question or comment for the professor? Both. Hello to you, Leslie. Hello to you, guys. Uh, with all respect, Professor, I really think that this election was stolen by the Republicans through a lot of different tactics, shenanigans, voter oppression, denying people the right to vote. And, and I think that really, they played this in 2012. They meant the didn't work, so we went. They want to vote oppression and deny people the right to vote. And that 96% African-American down to 89% is was deliberately purged out of the voter roll. My question to you is, that, do you think the FBI letter had to do anything with Hillary in the election? Professor? Look, yeah, I think it was absolutely outrageous that James Comey issued a letter based on nothing. I think that was a brazen partisan act without precedent in the history of our country, and I wrote a whole column for the Hill newspaper saying Comey should resign. But as I explained a few moments ago, Leslie, I made my second call doubling down on the Trump victory before the Comey letter. I don't look at these day-to-day events of the campaign, however significant they may be. And I think the Comey letter sets a horrible precedent 
And I think the other horrible precedent that was set in this election is how the media hook, line, and sinker uh, fell for the Russian meddling in our election, just publishing all of this horrible hack material. It was 50,000 Democratic materials hacked to zero Republicans. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure out who the Russians were trying to influence. I'm not saying they turned the election, but it's now open season for any foreign power to intervene in our elections. And I also put very heavy blame on Barack Obama. He should have addressed the nation. This should have been a cause celeb, because this is without precedent. In the 1790s, when the French ambassador was meddling in our politics, George Washington didn't sit back. He had him expelled. I think in many ways Barack Obama was a very good president, but in one way he was a very poor president. He didn't build the party. He didn't sell his politics, and he was too passive. There was a wonderful article in the New York Times explaining why Trump has got more attention for saving something like 800 jobs than Barack Obama has gotten for creating 16 million jobs. I, I want you, um, it, Professor, I wanted to ask on that point, if the FBI director had not come out, you had already predicted Donald Trump. I'd already predicted. Yep. So you still don't feel it would have changed the outcome of the election, correct? Obviously not since I made my prediction before. But, you know, as I said, I don't blame Hillary Clinton either, and I understand why Clinton and her supporters believe that the Comey letter turned the election. George okay, H. now, Professor, w. a lot of people aren't talking about another prediction, you, you, yes. unless this is fake news, and I've got to ask. Is it true that you predicted that Donald Trump will be impeached during his presidency? I did, but it's not a scientific prediction. I was very clear about that. Tell you the truth, okay. Leslie, I'll tell you the inside story. This was in my September interview with the press, and I kind of threw it out. And I thought nobody would pay any attention whatsoever. But after I correctly predicted the election in the face of everybody else, it's gone viral. I was trending on that with Oprah on, on, uh, on Facebook. Let me, let me tell you why I made the prediction from my gut. I, I wasn't without reason. First of all, one of the Lichtman rules of politics is what you see is what you get. People don't change. Right. Donald Trump has played fast and loose with the law all his life, with the many ways with the Trump, found, with the Trump Foundation, with Trump University. He broke the Cuban embargo when it was a very serious crime. If you know anything about his history of litigation, talk about emails. He's destroyed emails, destroyed evidence, ignored a legal discovery request. If that carries over, and people don't change into his presidency, there could be some serious issues. Secondly, he has set up a massive conflict of interest. He isn't even president yet, and we've already seen it being manifest, between his private business interests and the national security and national interests of the U.S. And turning his businesses over to his kids doesn't do a thing to alleviate that. Finally, you know, why might Republicans in Congress be interested in this? Because... Republicans love control, and Trump is a loose cannon, he's uncontrollable, and Republicans would much prefer the down-the-pipe, predictable, Christian conservative Mike Pence as president. But that, and, that, and that's interesting, but an impeachment doesn't always lead to a president leaving office. I mean, we, uh, you know, Richard, Richard Nixon resigned, but Bill Clinton remained in power. Correct. And it's possible, you know, it's, it's not easy to, it's much harder to remove a president than to impeach a president because it takes two-thirds vote. But let's not forget when he faced 
both impeachment and uh, a Senate trial, Richard Nixon decided to resign. That could happen, too. But let's face it. I don't think Trump really wants to govern. I don't think he really wants to be held accountable for decisions. He spent his whole life avoiding accountability. What if a businessman like him has six bankruptcies? It, it, it's incredibly rare, plus, you know, thousands of, of lawsuits. He's not well, I'm, a I'm typical businessman. I think he wants the hail to the chief when he walks in a room. I yes. think he likes the parties. Uh, but yes. after the inauguration, and except for the State of the Union and a few press conferences, um, it's hard work, long hours every single day. And I'm not saying he doesn't like hard work and long hours, but I think he liked winning and the idea of being president more than being president. Certainly the future will hold true. I hope you're right about the impeachment. And I, uh, and, and I guess you won't be able to predict if he's a one-term president until what point closer to the next election? You never know exactly when the keys are going to fall in place. This year's prediction came very late. The last two predictions, 2012 and 2008, came years ahead of time. So while I can use my system to forecast elections, I'm really not Nostradamus, and I can't forecast how the keys are going to line up and when exactly they're going to line up. Professor, it's been more than a pleasure to have you on, sir, and I'm sorry that I was hating you for a while. I'm okay now. I'm, I'm over it. <laughs>